That's what you now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Prepare to get caffeinated. Well, first off, I have to say, uh, am I lucky that I got you here uh, when I did? Because your call sign is Flake. Uh, that is true. Yes. yes. <laughs> or, or, or if there's been, uh, if I've been imbibing, then my alter ego Frake comes out. So F R A P, which is quite nice. He's pretty, pretty enjoyable. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, today we are joined by none other than Scott Snow. What was your rank when you when you retired? Uh, Commander 05. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Well, now I do. Well, now you do. How about <laughs> Navy? Navy Commander, Top Gun instructor. No. Oh, oh. Not, not a Top Gun instructor, but I, I ran uh, Naval Strike and Air Warfare Center Ops. So I had Top Gun Strike, Switty, and the uh, E2 Weapons School. Under so you were up, up above I, I, I was the owner of all the airplanes and the maker of all things happened. Okay. Well, I mean, that's still pretty freaking cool. It was cool. Yeah. I, I, got to, I, I got to teach them how to fly the F-16 and beat up on them all the time. So well, this is, and this is where this is going to get interesting. Like you are an F-14 Tomcat pilot that also is rated in an F-16. Correct. And F-18. <laughs> and F-18. So you got to do the gambit. Yes, very much so. I feel like, you know, outside, have you ever ridden in a Strike Eagle? Uh, I have not. Okay. So that's pretty much the last box that you would need to check of when it comes to high performance. Pretty cool. I, I, I definitely would have loved to fly the, uh, the F-22. Yeah. Yeah. F-35, they can have it. Don't care. Well, uh, single engine, you know, it, I, I just... It's the fat kid with a calculator. You know, it you, is you, can't, you can't run away. You can't go fast. You can't dogfight. You're like, hey, well, I've got this cool helmet. I'll just look at him and zap him with my eyeball lasers. No, that doesn't work. No, that and that I was I was touring the, uh, the F-35 squadron recently, a couple of weeks ago out at Eglin Air Force Base. And two things. Number one, yes, that thing is fat. It is it is a big booty girl. And oh, yeah. Thank you, Marine Corps. Go lift, fan. And when I'm talking to the pilots, I'm like, so is it, does it outmaneuver an F-16? No. Does it, is it faster? No. Okay, then what the hell's the purpose of this thing? Well, it's in, invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, the F, so you wish you could have flown the F-22 to just see what that, that thrust oh, yeah, to weight it, ratio vectoring it, it, does. Mon- it is an absolute monster airframe. So <laughs> we, we always looked at it is the F-22 was probably one of the most survivable in, in modern combat times, uh, just from the frame, the structure, they kept the speed, they designed it as a fighter, not a, a jack of all trades, uh, which is usually the downfall of most uh, fighter aircraft. So when you have the Marine Corps wants to go up, down, left, right, it's like, great, that's awesome. But we still needed to land on carriers and, you know, have skinny little legs to do the Air Force thing. Then you just make all these compromises. That's why you end up with the fat kid with the calculator instead of the <laughs> linebacker with a baseball bat, which is the F-22. Yeah, you know what? I, I've never understood. I never understood the decision makers when it came to where we were sinking, sinking our money. Um, because you know, if I had my way, like, I, I feel like we need about 10 more a 29 squadrons. And for those of you who don't know, a 29 is like, if you merged a P 51 with an F 18, it's a prop turbo, is a turbo prop. 
Yeah, it's a uh, Super Tucano turboprop, and that's the uh, A29 program that I, I was uh, running out of Fallon, Nevada. <laughs> so we had that. We had, the thing looked like a porcupine because we had all kinds of you know bells, whistles, and antennas and everything on it. But great, great platform and just super stout. And we're dropping you know GBU12s off of it, and you know you had on station time all day long. So it was great for uh, for ground guys. You're back. I'm back. You're back. Right. That's all we need. All right. Um, well, let's, let's rewind and start at the beginning. Like, like, did you, were you flying as a teenager? Where, where, at what point did it, did it come into your head that you can fly a fighter aircraft? Uh, basically when I was four years old. So I grew up in uh, Bellevue, Washington before they put all the uh, lip tartness into the water system. And so this is a Vietnam era, about 1972. Summertime up there is just ridiculous. The the sky is, you know, crystal blue, just gorgeous. And we were on the flight path uh, for McCord Air Force Base as they went over to the Boardman bombing range on the east side of the state. So one day it's got to be somebody in the neighborhood. I'm like four years old, south side of the house, and I hear this massive noise. And it's an F-4 Phantom about 200 feet over my head in the sun, full afterburner. Must have known someone, you know, in the neighborhood, but it's like... And I'm looking up going, that is what I'm going to do. <laughs> and that was it. You know, my, my dad was a, uh, uh, he, he was a Navy guy enlisted for a uh, Korean war. And, but he was at the Boeing flying club. So he took me flying from age six months on and then taught me how to fly at, you know, growing up, just flying right seat with him. And then formal lessons in a, a Satabri, a fully aerobatic tail bragger, which was uh, nice because you just have a stick and a throttle and that's it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's it. And you're you're, you're going to learn pretty quickly if if you can make it happen or not. So <laughs> that was that was all good living. You know, the, it's got to be cool though. You know, seeing an F4 fly. I got to control German F4s in my career, which they're they smoke like hell. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can see them twenty miles away. It's easy. Uh. But yeah. So when you did you did you go to the academy? Did you go to a normal school? I went to a normal, well, was normal at the time. So uh, University of Washington and uh, yep. picked up a, a ROTC scholarship there. And then I graduated in 1990 and off I went down to uh, to flight school. Well, basketball. that's pretty difficult to do, though, is to grab a pilot slot out of ROTC, isn't it? Uh, it is, absolutely. Uh, but it's it, it changes. It kind of, it's on this whole ebb and flow in timelines. And so it's just one of those that, you know, I, I was the only one that ended up flying fighters out of my class. And then uh, one of the kids, uh, Chris Schnabel, that I trained, you know, a year behind me ended up getting fighters as well. But, you know, most guys, you know, they go down and it's a huge weeding out process. You know, you're basically going to rip through 10,000 people that want to go be fighter pilots to to get the one out the top of the pyramid that's going to make it. Yeah. And 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 you just beat everybody out was that was that flying skills was it math was it what what what, what no it, it actually it was just one of those you, you need to do well enough academically and luckily they changed the rules from making you get a, a bachelor of science uh my sophomore year so i ended up getting a, a bachelor of arts in history because i had taken all the prerequisite classes so you know my grade point from uh, help, you know straight up when i'm all i'm doing is book reports for the last two years of college that's pretty good yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so where, where's flight school at? Is that Pensacola for you guys? Yeah. You go down to uh, aviation indoctrination in uh, Pensacola. So, uh, you start down there six weeks of training, you go, you know, 
eat some palmetto bushes and do survival and, you know, water safety and all that kind of crap. And what then airframe were you trained on? Uh, I started in the uh, T-34 Charlie and they had a chance. You can go to Whiting Field, which is just north of Pensacola yep. or uh, go to Corpus Christi, Texas. So I was lucky enough to get, uh, get Texas, go to Corpus Christi, fly the T-34 there. And then, then that's, that's when the, the weed out process begins where, you know, you basically need to need to shine and make it happen. So bust my ass in T-34s, get, get enough, you know, up rides. So like 65 or 70 above was what you needed to get to jets. And so I, I, I made it, got jets, went down to Kingsville, Texas, the other training uh, places, uh, Meridian, Mississippi. Yeah. So I went down to Kingsville and uh, started in flying the uh, T2 Charlie old uh, Rockwell guppy looking thing. Yeah. With the, you know, just tip tanks and it's just, you, you, the engines are underneath. So anytime you move the throttle, it, it, it does this for you, which is really awesome. <laughs> so, like a teeter totter. And then, uh, so you go through that. And at that time they, they would take us out to the uh, boat in the T2. So your first trap on the carrier is going to be in the, uh, in the T2. In the trainer. In the trainer. Yeah. And is it a trainer one. carrier or is it a real carrier? No, it's a real carrier. Yeah, oh. it was on the uh, John F. Kennedy. So I had the uh, the first one there. So but that's just part of their trials or whatever is, hey, we're oh, yeah. going to go I mean, that, that's, students. Absolutely. You know, so you work your way all the way through intermediate. And it's kind of part of the weed out process, too. And, you know, are you nervous? Yeah, I probably shit four times before I even hopped in the jet to go out to the carrier. So it was pretty impressive. So what, so what is what is the, the, the crawl rock walk run for carrier training? Like... It, it, it's you basically, you know, they, they tell you about it and then you do a, a FCLP, which is field carrier landing practice. So you have the, the carrier box itself, the landing area painted on the runway. And then you have the, uh, at the time, the Fresno lens, they have a eye flaws now, which is a little more accurate, but you're basically flying the meatball and, and flying the carrier pattern around and around. You go probably, you know, 10, 10 touch and goes per session. And they just keep. Are you hooked down on the cables with no. this, or are you just no. getting no, used to hitting the mark and and finding the ball? And you're and, talking to the uh, the LSO, the landing signal officer. So and and they grade every single pass. Yeah. And so you have to get you know you got to be this tall to ride this ride. So you have to grade this high before they're even going to take you to the boat. And then go down. We did it out of uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and then uh, out to the. Uh, the carrier we went. So yeah, it was a good time. You do uh, two touch and goes and then four traps in the uh, T2. And then they so shoot back that first feet. one. Uh, that well, first it, one go. It, it's, it's pretty awesome. Cause you, you almost don't have time to think about it. And you realize the, the approach speed of a T2 versus F14, F18 is, is quite a bit slower uh, by about, you know, 25, 30 knots. So you just come around and, and you're doing everything that, that, you know, you train to do. And, touch and go the first time and then back into the pattern, go and do it again. And then the first time you throw the hook down, that's, that's the eye opener. Cause now it's like, I'm flying, I'm flying, I'm flying. <laughs> wow. Okay. We're here. You know, and, and it, funny stories like after, after I try and then you're like, Holy crap. Okay. And you're just following the little directors out of there. And, and half the time they're like eyeballs on me or you going swimming. It's like, Oh, okay. Got it. So follow the director or else we go over the side and die. So that helps. And right when I pulled off the landing area, the next, it was uh, one of my roommates comes in and lands right behind me, but he didn't lock his, uh, his harness. 
And so he goes and traps and his whole head just disappears. It's like, and there's nothing, but you're looking, it's like, there's no one in the cockpit until you finally see his head go boink and pop back up again. So that was pretty awesome. Did you you have any mishaps with your crew? No, not with mine. No. Yeah. But it, it's so they do uh, a pretty good job, like making sure that you oh, yeah, did, yeah. That, that's part did, of your baby steps. They're going to coddle you the whole time. There's nobody else on the carrier, so it's not like regular ops or anything going on. And then you, you roll over and get your uh, first cat shot. So the T2 is it was actually a bridle hookup. So they had this this heavy cable that they put on the uh, the hooks in the front, and it comes around the uh, the shell, and boom, it goes flying off, and off you go. It's you know you run it. Power all the way up, flight controls all the way through, hang on to the throttles, salute the guy. He makes sure it's clear, touches the deck, and boom, you're, you're off and gone. And that, that first cat shot is eye-opening. It's, it's the first time you've accelerated that fast. In, ever. In, ever. Ever, ever. The only comparison is really like a top fuel dragster. For, for, for how fast it accelerates. And that's, There's a roller coaster that mimics a cat shot. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's about 5 Gs. In the in the horizontal, so it, it it pins you, it pins you, and then you know of course they get successively worse. They the the more stuff you you fly on the airplane. So so when you are going through training at this point, what is on the table for you to possibly get vectored to? So are you are you unsure what platform you're going to at this point? You know you got jets. Yes, you're you're, you're going to go to jets, and and Which at is, the time we had. You had the uh, the A six, A A six was just phased out. Okay, and so it was the E A six B, so the Prowler. And so if you sucked at everything, but you were really good landing on the boat, welcome to the Prowler world. E A six B. You're flying, yeah, you're flying the station wagon. You got you know three other guys in in there with you, so they they want you to be good. And then guys that, and I I don't mean to belittle, but say you know they kind of mediocre across the board and mediocre at the boat they they would give them the uh, the s3 viking because you know the who was just like a super forgivable you know couch flying through the air had the big uh, turbo fans same same motors that are on the uh, a10 uh, warthog okay. but you know they basically all they would do is anti-submarine warfare yeah and then they'd fly around at seven thousand feet and just be the airborne gas force and so yeah. that was a, a pretty glorious mission for them and then after that, it jumps into uh, F-14s and F-18s. And so everybody, you know, it's, of course, that's what you're going to put for your uh, your first choice. And uh, out of my class, I was I was the, uh, uh, myself, and then uh, Brady Bartosh, my uh, roommate, we both ended up with uh, Tomcats. And then my other roommate ended up with uh, Hornets. Did you put Tomcats or did you put Hornets? No, I, I, I put Tomcats. And was that because of just the legacy the Tomcat had? It's such a cool airplane. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, if you got a chance to do it, you know, it's like, oh, I want to go fly home. It's like, dude, anybody. I, I could teach you how to fly the Hornet in 10 minutes. I mean, it, it's basically. I, I feel like I know how to fly the Hornet. I've got about 18,000 I mean, hours in the sim. Yeah, no, no shit. Yeah, I mean, it, it is that easy. You, you can take someone off the street and teach them about 10 minutes because the less you touch it, the better it flies. And so, uh, uh, now, did you have the foresight, though, of, hey, if I choose Tomcats now, eventually these are going away, and I'll, I'll jump in Hornets anyway? God, no, not really. And, and yeah. it, there was, there's always this Tomcat-Hornet rivalry, because you had a, a, an automatic cheerleader in your backseat the whole time, you know, taking pictures of, go Flake, yay! 
You know, so that, that's that's what the real was there for half the time. Is you know, half of it is psychologists like they're there, flaky. You don't have a big head. You're gonna kill us both. It'll be awesome. <laughs> and, and then you know, all the way to you know, running the weapons. They're supposed to run the radar, and they would run the uh, lantern pod as well. And then uh, and then the radios. And when you first start out, it's kind of nice because you know you're bringing a guy into a fighter. You start flying it, and they put a really senior guy in the back seat. He's kind of like your, you know, your sea daddy, and he's going to help yeah. you, you know, get through this and make you, you know, a much better platform and pilot. And then the more senior you get, the less and less experienced guys you get in the back seat. So pretty soon, you as a senior pilot, you're carrying this guy all the way through, which can be quite a cross to bear at times. <laughs> Especially when, I don't know, people are shooting at you and throwing SA-2 missiles at you and all they're doing is looking the wrong way and telling you the wrong things. Yeah, it's good times. So where is, uh, where's Tomcat school at then? Like what was... Uh, it, it was, actually, I went through the uh, the VF-101 uh, debt. So they left, I, I got F-14Ds, which is the uh, the biggest and baddest of the uh, the Tomcats yeah. uh, out of the box. So you had the GEF-110 motors, you know, full HUD, you had the APG-71 radar that was just monstrous and, uh, and all the bells and whistles. And they made 56 of them total. And so they split that up between three squadrons. And then uh, when they wanted to, to kill the demon seed of fighter aviation off the West Coast after Tailhook 91, wasn't there. I can either we'll get into that, we'll get into that, that? after this. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well. But they, uh, they took the, uh, the F-14A and B Tomcats and they pushed them all out to uh, Oceana. So the rag there just had all the uh, A's and B's. And then they, they kicked us out of Miramar in 96 and then uh, moved all the, consolidated all the Tomcats out in uh, Oceana because they, they had to keep Oceana. It was either close Miramar or close Oceana and they needed to keep Oceana open for the uh, Damnick boys. And uh, so that, that's where they moved us all. So what was that uh, first first flight in the Tomcat when you sat in that thing for the first time? It's it, it's pretty cool. They throw you in the uh, the simulator uh, for you know quite a bit of time beforehand because you know one they they they're ergonomics gonna, buttons yeah ergonomics buttons. I mean all your emergency procedures everything. So because you're the only guy with the controls in the yeah. front, and then the first two to three flights, they put a, a pilot in the backseat to kind of talk you through all the, all the, you know, monkey skills of how to you know fly the airplane, what to do, everything else. And then you get it pretty quickly. And then flight number three, they throw a, a Rio in the back and you're off and going through the familiar racing fan stage and on down the pipeline you go. So. Yeah. So like that first day that you're in the air with this thing, like, are you like playing with the, like how fast can this go? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you have a, a set, uh, you set brief. We're going to go and do this and this, and then we'll show you how it accelerates and all that. And it's, it's pretty eye opening the first time you light up. You know, it's Cause you take off in mill cause there's so much power coming out of the, the F one ten motor that if, yeah. if you take off in burner and you lose one, it'll spin right then and there. They're, they're nine feet apart and you've got 30,000 pounds of thrust coming out of one side and zero out of the other. It, it, it's not going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Off you go. Wow. <laughs> now, are you guys as front seaters cross-trained as Rios as well or no? No, I, you'll, you'll learn some of it over yeah. time. And I would always quiz my, my Rios and, Hey, you know, walk me through the, the lantern pod and what you need to do and, and how to do that. So if, if I get somebody incompetent, not going to name any names in the backseat, <laughs> I have to talk them to, to, you know, make it work. 
uh, yeah, that that's that's pretty important stuff. And then you would from time to time, it's fast forward, but well, I'll come back to, to me being in the rag. But when I was teaching at the rag, uh, you would be doing the, you know, fam one, fam two, sitting in the back seat with a new kid in the front. And then you'd also do a performance demo as you went into a ACM air combat maneuvering uh, type of stuff. But it, it was good to, you had to learn how to get the alignment and you know, do stuff like that. So it was all now, good. What was the first uh, dogfight that you had with a Hornet? And how did that go? Like, because with this rivalry, did you okay. live up? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's and you would go and and, and dogfight both. You know, Tomcat v Tomcat. You know, learning yeah. the, uh, the syllabus, but then you go, you know, Tomcat v Hornet, and it's with a you know ridiculously experienced you know adversary pilot. So you know, you had a, at at the time VFC uh, thirteen on the west coast, VFC twelve on the east coast. You know, flying early lot Hornets, you know, with guys that have 1500, you know, plus hours fighting and, and, and flying the airplane. And if you, it, it takes you time to learn, you know, what are the strengths or weaknesses of each airplane that you're flying. So you learn pretty quickly that, you know, you're not going to outrate somebody in, in, in a circle with a Tomcat, you know, you yeah. just don't, don't have the degrees per second, but, you know, instead of doing a 18 degrees per second turn with the Tomcat, you go 180 degrees by going straight vertical. And that's where you had these massive tails on, on the, uh, on the Tomcat. It's about the same size as an A4 Skyhawk wing was your, uh, your horizontal stabs. And so you could basically get it over the top and just pitch, pulse it down and just basically turn it around inside its own butthole. It was uh, it's pretty So incredible. you essentially take them rather than trying to play the game of, of, of getting an angle on them yeah. in a, in a lateral turn, you just take them up and flip up over. And then they're, yeah, they just you, don't have you the power. To, to, yep. Yeah. Because the, the Hornet, if they have any pylons on it or anything else, it bleeds like a stuck pig. Now, if you have a completely slick Hornet, that thing, much like a completely slick F-16, it's a freaking monster. But yeah. when, once you learn that you basically need to get them in, in, in the phone booth and wear them down, but still keep vertical speed. So you need, you know, about 300 knots, you know, in, in the Tomcat, but when, once you get them bled down, then you just take it in, into the vertical and, and they can't get their nose back up because they have the uh, uh, the limiter and, and they're just kind of stuck, you know, just flat. <laughs> and, and the one thing the Hornet would always do is, is intimidate with the nose. So they'd be really quick to get their nose and point it at you. But as long as you avoided that first shot, you know, then it's pretty much over for them. And it was the same way fighting the F-16 against the F-18 is that it, the Hornet had one chance to, to get its nose on you and shoot, and there was blood out of energy, out of ideas. And then you can just run circles around him. After oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. Now, um, is the aura from the movie Top Gun true in the aspect that those Tomcat pilots from essentially 1980 to 2000 were the best dogfighters to exist? Uh, I, I'd say yes and no. I mean, it, it's really, it's, they always say it's it's the carpenter, not the tools. And so uh, you you had guys that could fly the oldest F-14A and just beat the living crap out of anybody. And, and like Snort Snodgrass was one. So we, he just morded, you know, uh, about a month ago. Uh, but super famous Tomcat guy and just would absolutely crush your nuts. You know, and, and you're thinking, ah, I'm pulling G's, I'm going to kick... No, he's just like, and it's over. So, 
but there, there were guys like that. And in time, you know, you learn to be that guy and, and, and be able to, to really dogfight well, but it's you, just like any cross section of, of a fighter squadron, you're going to have guys that are great at it and, and others that, you know, can maybe fly it from point A to point B. So, yeah. and, and they slowly, you know, will, will trickle off and you'll, you'll find out the best. Like, and, was and there the, ever any, like, was there ever, ever any legends like from the air force or something like that, that were, that you guys just knew the name that was like, that guy is deadly. Um, yes and no. I mean, their, their weapon school is, is really top notch. I mean, they, they just, it, it's the, it's, it's the, uh, you know, zero tolerance policy of the air force that if you, you bum one ride, it's like, no, you're not, you're, you're not good enough to graduate. And we do the same thing with, uh, with Top Gun is, you know, it's, you, you need to be on your game to, uh, to make it happen. And when Top Gun was in Miramar, it was one of those, like you would knife your best friend right in the face to get his slot to go to Top Gun because, you know, it's, it's in Miramar and it's, it's, you know, the best of the best. And if you could come back and be an instructor, it's just like, that's, that, that was, was awesome. Yeah. That was it. And then in 96, when they, they were scraping everybody out of Miramar, they moved it up to Fallon, Nevada. And at first everyone's like, well, I'm just going to go over here to Oceana and have a real city and everything else. But once you get stationed in Fallon, and this is you know farther down the storyline, but you end up loving it and you never want to leave. So it just took time for that to kind of sink in. And, uh, and most of the guys, you know, once, once they've been there, go through the school, they, they, they're pretty apt to come back if they can to instruct. Man, <laughs> it's such a time. So, so now tell us, what is this infamous 1991 tailhook incident? Uh, there may have been an instant snow, call sign Flake, who was stashed at the time between uh, starting flight school at uh, VR-57, which is the uh, DC-9 squadron out of Miramar. And they used to let us, you know, at that year and earlier, it was all in Vegas is where they would do tailhook every year. And they would fly, you know, the C-9s, we would fly people from the different Navy bases to tailhook uh, for the event. And so you had that, you had everybody coming off of uh, Desert Storm 1. And so they're just lit up and crazy. And, and I'm just, you know, kind of like the admin bitch. So I'm there, you know, stocking the beers and, and you know, making cocktails for, for everybody there. And, the, and you'd have an admin. So every squadron would have, you know, their own admin room. And then people would just cycle through and go from room to room to room. And, you know, different drinks here, there, whatever. And end up talking the entire time with all the buddies they, they haven't seen in forever. But, you know, I'm sure it's just like, you know, being a JTAC, so you can see somebody that you hadn't seen in three years, but you pick up exactly where he left yeah. off. I mean, there's just it's like no time passed at all. So that that's that's kind of how it goes. Uh, did it get completely out of hand? Yeah, it did. But, you know, it, it, it's one where when in talking to some of the older guys, they're like, dude, that was tame comparison to years past. It's like, ooh, wow. And then, of course, they went on the whole tailhook witch hunt and, you know, tried to hunt everybody down and drum everybody out. It's like, oh, you had fun. Not allowed. So, <laughs> all good times. I think every community has that one year, that one story. You know, oh, yeah. we had a, a TAC P reunion in 2009 where a, a, a slip and slide in baby oil was... Uh, was was an end state of the night. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so when was your first actual uh, kind of putting all these skills to use and doing them in combat? 
Uh, really, it, it was, we, uh, we were still doing uh, Desert Storm, you know, flights in, uh, in 95. So I, le- I left on cruise uh, in 97 with uh, BF2. After I, I joined them in 95, went on a cruise in the uh, Connie. And so we'd go basically fly all over Iraq, taking pictures, everything else, and, and really, but, but no kinetic, you know, but we're still flying patrols and, and you know, just waiting for them to, to pull something. And so that, that was, you know, the whole cruise and ended up, we, we used to call it gay porn, especially in combat was uh, the TARPS pod. So it's the tactical air reconnaissance pod. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you got this 18,000 pound hunk of crap on the earth, you know, in the belly of the airplane. And you, you, you know, you really have no room or weight for anything else because now your max trap on the carrier is still 54,000 pounds. And you got this 2000 pounds, you know, dead weight that you can't get rid of. And, you know, your, your ball state was maybe four, 4,000 pounds to 3.8. And I mean, you're, you're no kidding. You needed to land with 2000 pounds uh, or, or, you know, it's over. So, cause it, it, it was enough when you get lower down in, in fuel, it's a 20,000 pounds is your max load of fuel, but you have to be at 54,000 pounds total weight of the aircraft to land it on the carrier. And so they would have your, more if you're too light. Fire. What happens? Oh, too light's fine. Okay. Too light doesn't matter. They they set the uh, the arresting gear at fifty four thousand pounds, okay. uh, but it's how much fuel is life, much like speed is life around the carrier, and yeah. so you had to be one of the, the the better carrier pilots, like this guy who ended up having to do all the gate porn and flying the tarp missions all over because they knew that if I came back, I wasn't going to miss, and so I'd, I'd come back into the pattern and, and land every time without boltering or going around or having a you know night in the uh, in the bag. So, all good. Yeah, did you ever see a, a carrier, uh, someone go off or anything? Uh, no. It, it it luckily, you know, I I, I went the LSO route, vice the uh, the the Top Gun instructor route, and yeah. so in doing that, luckily, I, you know, fast forward. But it's it's one of the things I, I looked at it like, okay, what is most likely going to kill me? You know, is it going to be someone shooting at me? Well, it's going. What every single day, what's the most dangerous thing you're going to be doing? Well, it's probably landing on the carrier. And in the daytime, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's an absolute blast flying around the yeah. carrier in the daytime. But you get shit weather or at night, you end up with gray hair or no hair. Yeah, you know, I, I watched a, sh- a shit weather one the other day and it was like, oh man, that would not be fun at all. Oh yeah, no, no. And it's, it, it's you're going to be fine at night traps until the first time you scare yourself. And then you, it's like you concentrate so hard every single time you're going to come down to land. I mean, you're shaking like a leaf when, when, you know, the rest of your finally stops you. Yeah. And, and it's, it's that way every time. So. I mean, I was lucky in my career. I got to go out to the George Washington while I was out to sea and watch Tomcat's trap all night. And I knew I was lucky for that. Like, I was like, this is like, very few people get to do that. <laughs> and we would always take the uh, uh, the Eagle guys or uh, Viper guys out to the uh, the LSO platform, which is on the back of the carrier. Yeah. So you know they're talking to the, all the uh, the pilots coming in, and especially at night, and they just look at us like you guys are fucking insane. It's like, yeah, well, there you go. This is this is our life. This is our ops. Um, welcome, welcome to the floating prison for overachievers. So, so yeah, how was how was dodging missiles in the second Iraq War? Oh, uh, it was. Uh, Interesting. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's kind of when, when they have that adage and they say, okay, remember uh, that getting shot at all night long, your heart rate is still going to be higher and faster landing on the boat at night. And it's, it's a hundred percent true. Wow. I mean, because you, you basically just go right into, into, you know, brain strengths for the size of a pea. It's, it's, you know, getting shot out on the ground or, or in the air, it's, it's, it's all the same kind of thing. It's like, you're just going to go right back to what you trained. And so now I'm, I'm there watching, they, they would start off, this is uh, over Baghdad. So once we had basically surrounded them, that's when they just started shooting everything off because they knew it was the, the end was coming and it didn't really matter at that point. Yeah. So they would start with the, uh, the French Roland, which is really good up to about 20,000 feet. But at night you're on goggles, you're looking at it. It's just like, you know, here comes a big, bright, shiny object trying to kill me. You're going to react to it just like anything else. So their, their plan was they'd shoot all these Rolands first that are only good to about 20,000 ish feet. And we're hovering between 25 and 30,000 feet. And so you start reacting to those. They're trying to bleed you down. And then they start throwing the SA2D uh, missiles at you. And that's the flame and telephone yeah, pole. That's, yeah. that's the monster that, you know, can go up to like 80,000 feet. Yeah. It's got a so, ceiling of like stupid. And <laughs> yes, hundred percent. And so then, then they start heaving those at you and you're you know, fighting eight of them on one side. You're doing barrel rolls over them and they're, they're getting within like 60 feet of you. How do you defeat I mean, them? Is it all just angle or is it waiting for them to get closer and then juking? It, a bit of both. And so you have a chaff. So you have all these aluminum strips and everything else. And what we had in the D was a bowl chaff. So on our missile pylons, you had so you had 80 packets on each side. And then your standard in the belly, you know, you had flare. So you had 30 flares and 30, you know, chaff in the, in the, uh, in the belly. So 60 total, you know, down there, but you know, flares aren't going to do anything for you. You're just trying to get that radar to bite off on the, uh, on the aluminum cloud that you're leaving behind. And, and basically decoy him to go go after that. But for us, you know, the, just one of those things, luck is luck is great. You know, I'd rather be lucky than uh, than good any day. You have the SAQs coming up and, and they're you know, right where they should be. And they have the, the target detecting device, which we have on all our missiles too. But it's that little window that as soon as it sees you, it's boom, it, it, it blows up and goes off. And these things went up, never went off, straight back down into the darkness. Every single one that, that, that got that close. So I, I really should have been a, a pink mist at that point. And, uh, you know, just hair, teeth, and eyeballs left. But, you know, that, that's that's it. You know, they wow. they all, not, nothing detonated. So they're basically just, you know, firing dry rounds at me. And that thing coming back down to the earth, though, that wouldn't be fun to be chilling no, in your house. No. Yeah, well, that's why real estate in Baghdad's uh, what it is these days. <laughs> so uh what made you retire at that point then i uh, truthfully uh, a, a couple items so yeah. i was on my last flying tour so i i knew it and it was i, I was threatened with a uh an ia so an in individual uh, augmentation so i'd be probably running a convoy or something like that out of afghanistan or iraq you know for my last year in the navy and so I was able to extend that last year and you have to be, you, know, you have to put your retirement paper in a year before mm -hmm. and, and then they have to accept it and everything else. Well, in 2009, I flew with another uh, Tomcat buddy of mine and uh, I let him go the year before in a Hornet, but he came down here to uh, South Texas to uh, Encinal uh, to a, uh, a Warbird flying with a, a gentleman that has, you know, 40 plus Warbirds, you know, multi-billionaire kind of guy. 
And it's super, just the best of the best airplanes. And so, you know, Opie goes down there and all that. And I, I'm fat, dumb, and happy. I, I'm single at the time because I got AIDS, aviation-induced divorce syndrome. And <laughs> so I'm there in Fallon. I, I'm, I'm playing with, you know, the Top Gun kids and, and beating up on them five days a week. And then on the weekends, I'm teaching skiing at Kirkwood, California. And so it's just, I'm living this fantastic life. I'm living on a hanging alfalfa ranch that has a, a winery, you know, 14 acres of grapes. I'm learning the wine business from the ground up. I've got a private airplane where I just fly around and go, you know, find women of ill repute uh, to, to harass in, in many different cities. So that, that was cool. Uh, but then Opie comes into my office on a Wednesday and he's like, dude, you ready to go this weekend? Go, go where? It's like, oh, we're, we're going down to that flying thing. Like, okay. So we grab a two seat F-16, jump over to Houston on Thursday, spend the night and uh, hook up with uh, Stuart Fred, who's a fantastic human. And he has a couple L-39s, very, you know, huge aviation enthusiast kind of guy. So he's, he's super great. We're, we're great friends now. Spend the night there. And then Friday we fly down, you know, to this Encinal Ranch. So we come down and, and, you know, beat the place up, you know, unofficially. Uh, we, we didn't do an air show because that would be illegal. Yeah, no. Illegal. And the transponder failed halfway there. Uh-huh. Weird. Transponder not working. Transponder no working. And so then land there, pull up, pop the canopy. And with it, basically 10 minutes after I landed, that's when she arrived. And that's Lisa, my now wife. Oh. So, I, it just, it was but something. you were in a flight suit, so you were. Oh, no, no, this didn't help. This this helped none at all because she grew up as an Air Force brat. And the first look at me was like, uh, well, he's kind of okay looking, uh, but he's a fighter pilot, so he's going to be an asshole. So I actually, <laughs> I didn't even start at the level playing field. I, I started way down here, and then I had to kind of crawl my way out from underground to to get there. And, uh, you know, we just, we've been inseparable ever since. So met her February 28th of 2009, got married in November of uh, 2009. And it's, it's been like, it's when you're happy. It's like time goes like that. It's <laughs> like, I, I just met her yesterday. We had merit on Monday and you know, it's, you know, now merit's eight. She's going to turn nine in a couple of weeks. It's like, Holy crap. Where's the time go? Because it's time flies when you're happy. When you're not happy, it's, it's a prison sentence. Yes, it is. Well, so what are you doing now? Because you're my neighbor. Oh yeah. Neighbors. Absolutely, names. Uh, so uh, fast forward. So I, I do a VF2. So that's uh, flying F-14Ds out of Miramar. They move us to Oceana. I, I go from there to uh, the landing signal officer school. So I instruct at the landing signal officer school and teach full-time at the uh, F-14 RAG. And then so I, I was the one going out to, to qualify all the kids landing on the boat. Because the first time you go to the boat at night is in your fleet aircraft. So it's I, I'm teaching them how to land on the, on the boat at night, F-14. You know, and and it's it, that takes a lot. That that's kind of you know cutting the wheat from the chaff and the the, the men from the boys yeah. and the that are scared. So all good things. So go from there. Uh, pick up a, a keg paddle store. Uh, so that's a carrier air wing uh, LSO. And so there there's two that you have on every uh, deployment, and it's usually you know you'll you'll room room together. But it's one of you has to be on the platform at all times. Yeah. Whenever they're they're landing airplanes, and so it's myself and Zippy. And we'd swap off, you know, back and forth. That's when I cross-trained into the F-18. Uh, all my Hornet squadrons are down in Beaufort, South Carolina. Yeah. So I was, you know, I, I'd go down and train them up. So September 11th uh, was a week before 
we were supposed to go on a cruise. And so that day I'm actually flying in a T-34, getting dropped off down in Beaufort, South Carolina. And so I go and I, and, and you know, things unfold the way they're supposed to. So I, I still bounce all the guys up because we're still going on cruise. And so I, I get everybody ready to go. And then that Thursday I'm flying back up. I'm the only guy in the U.S. that isn't an uh, airborne, you know, combat air patrol guy. <laughs> I'm the only guy flying from Beaufort, South Carolina, up to Oceana in a Hornet to drop it off. So uh, uh, DCAG, so that the second in command can, can get his bounces done and, and be ready to go to the carrier. And then, you know, we took off that next Monday. It's like, boom, out the door. So interesting. So that was straight in, kicked in the door for Afghanistan and, uh, you know, started getting all that done there. Came home, took a knee for a couple, three months, and then went right back out with the BF-31 on the uh, Abraham Lincoln. So the, the Afghanistan was a uh, Teddy Roosevelt with yeah. CAG-1 and then a uh, CAG-14 off the uh, Abraham Lincoln. So that was a BF-31 flying F-14Ds. And that's came home to have my see my son born. And so I left like December 15th. And then I get the call New Year's Day. Hey, uh, get back here. He's not born yet. So he gets born you know, three days later and boom, I'm, I'm in the tube right back to, uh, to the Abraham Lincoln. And that's when we, we kick off, uh, Iraq and, and take that away all the way through, come home from that, grab a, a staff tour. Uh, once I finish up, uh, VF 31. So I go out to Hawaii for two and a half years running future ops. For, uh, for that. No, it's not bad. That is, uh, that's, that, that's not bad living. If you got to drive a desk, might as well be a tropical desk. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. So I uh, do that. And then I, I weasel my way into, uh, into the ops job at, at Fallon and, uh, then did that, you know, trained up in the, uh, the F-16, did some F-18 time and had an absolute blast. And, and since I met Lisa in 2009, I couldn't get out soon enough and boom, out the door I went. So retired <laughs> September 1st of, uh, 2010. And it, it, at that time, it kind of, it, it almost feels like getting out of jail. I'm sure you had the same thing when you left. Yeah. Like, Woo, nobody controls me anymore. I'm doing tomorrow at 6 p.m. the night before. Cool. <laughs> and so do that. I got to, uh, so I met and married Miss Texas, as I like to call her. She was runner up, but that's okay. Uh, but met and married Who's her. Counting? Also, Who's counting? It, 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 it's all the beauty without the crown and the crazy. So that's, that's good times. So that, get here, uh, do some uh, consulting work for uh, the Warburg guy. Uh, where I met her and then uh, branched off, started uh, MCS Universal, which is uh, my government company, uh, doing a MD-11 freighters out of Helsinki. So a friend of ours used to own uh, Southern Air, sold that to the Bass Brothers out of Dallas. You know, this here's first world problems for you. I bought these two 747-400s, and so I put those on dry lease with these guys, but I bought these two MD-11s from Finnair, and nobody wants them. So let's build an airline. Okay. So I, I was there, you know, scouring, pulling all the KC-10 guys and everybody I, I could round up. So I just did the air crew end of it and, you know, built up to, uh, to four MD-11s and then uh, cashed that out. And I started flying the Pilatus back here in uh, 2011 and uh, just built it into my turboprop airline. So it's when you like to be home every night, the turboprops usually get you there. So now it's uh, two PC-12s and three Conquest 2s, which is the, uh, the Cessna 441 which I think was uh, one of the best turboprops ever made because it, it does 320 knots. In fact, you got to, to ride in one. Yep. yep. And uh, there, it's a hell of a machine. So 
Uh, got those, and uh, we just added two more King Airs on the fleet, and we're building out a huge uh, FBO hangar complex here. Big old hangar that we're going to have a lot of fun in. Oh, yeah, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I got some other, uh, you know, uh, off-the-record stuff that I, I need to, uh, to to bring in on, but it we, may involve yeah. two, two extra 300s that we're going to get to go play with. <laughs> so that'll be nothing but a good time. They will not so. be able to keep you and I out of the sky. That's for sure. Correct. Yes. That's, that's kind of how we work it. But why do we want them to? <laughs> exactly. Well, Hey, this was great. Um, if you're ever in Bernie and want to stop by the airfield, go see MCS. The hangar's great. Uh, <laughs> the Bernie flight school's right there and hang out with Scott and hear some stories about the F-14 Tomcat. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, if anybody does want to contract you to fly for them, how do they find you guys? Uh, they find us at uh, mcsky.com. Uh, okay. And uh, so that's that's our flying website. And uh, MCS Universal, that's our uh, service-disabled, better-known small business. So that's more uh, government sales and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, come on out. Bernie Stage Airfield, love to see you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for joining us today, Scott. You bet, brother. Thank you. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!